Welcome to the XEGS Cart by Cart podcast, the first and only podcast covering Atari's last answer to the Epic Gaming System. In episode two, we take to the skies with Blue Max, then dive down to the sewers to join the Mario Brothers. We also touch on Joust and Zaxxon, two games that share many similarities with our future reviews. Kieran Hawkins gives his two pence on budget titles, and we finally get to our user feedback. Now here's our three X egos, Bill, David, and Michael. Welcome everybody to episode two of the Atari XCGS Cart by Cart podcast, or Zegs if you prefer. Now enough with that controversy and we'll go to the news. Now as we mentioned, this episode will include some mini reviews of earlier Atari 400, 800XL and XE game cartridges, which were not re-released as Zegs branded games. We couldn't help but notice but some similarities between each pair of games that we were reviewing and decided that there's no time better than right now in this episode to talk about Joust and Zaxxon. There were only about three dozen Zegs titles out of a hundred cartridges that we're hoping to cover during the life of this podcast. So we'll be doing synergistic mini reviews now and then and may even cover certain sets of earlier carts in their own segments or entire episodes to help chew through the full list of games that we're going to review during the life of this podcast. Chiptune artist Michelle Sternberger, also known as Compute Her, uh, was kind enough to let us use the Atari 800XL version of her new single, Software, as a theme song for our podcast. Software is the first single off her new al- album, The Seduction of Computer, and yes, that's a Commodore pun. Huh. Um, it, it's available in seven remixes, including versions done entirely, entirely on the Commodore 64, Nintendo NES, and Game Boy, and more. Um, for those who don't know about uh, Michelle, uh, her past projects include work for Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo, uh, Sony Creative Software and the Sm- Smithsonian American Art Museum, um, as well as some Xbox Live live games, uh, among others. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, along with her solo work, Michelle is also part of Eight Bit Weapon, uh, a chip tune band formed by her husband Seth back in 1999. Um, and when Seth and Michelle finally decided to get an Atari Eight Bit, I actually sent them um, a bunch of floppy disks with uh, music software, and uh, it was kind of hard to find uh, <laughs> appropriate five and a quarter inch disks <laughs> for the Atari <laughs> to to do that. Um, but anyway, so we'll have links to Compute Her as well as 8-Bit Weapon um, and Michelle's announcement of the new software remixes so you can listen to all the different versions and compare the SID to the Pokey and so forth. Um, and uh, a Bandcamp link to where you can buy it uh, in our show notes. Cool. Um, I got some ex- exciting news. Uh, my annual Atari party out here in Northern California is scheduled. It's going to be on Saturday, July 30th at the Public Library here in Davis, uh, which is near Sacramento and not too far from San Francisco and Silicon Valley and all that good stuff down there. Um, we'll have a link in the show for that. Uh, it is free and open to the public. Um, also right. next month, uh, on April 9th, um, a couple of other local Atarians and I are going to be hosting um, kind of a mini Atari party at the annual Sacramento Indie Arcade, which is a showcase of local indie game, game developers hosted by the uh, Sacramento chapter of the International Game Developers Association. This one's not free, but it's uh, 15 bucks or less. And uh, yeah, if you want to come out and see some new... Indie games for PCs and Macs and all that stuff, as well as like retro-themed stuff, and then the Ataris and some other retro games and some arcade stuff. We will all be there, so come wow. check us out. Got some important wow. stuff going on. Yeah. Well, I'd love to go to one of your Atari parties. Maybe you could start a GoFundMe for me. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of people I want to GoFund to come to the Atari party. Yeah, I, I, I will fly <laughs> first class, I, I promise. <laughs> my, my plan this year, actually, is to get a bunch of donations for the local public library because they've been really nice to me. Oh, cool. um, so I'm actually going to get some books and trying to see if I can get some films uh, donated to their catalog. But uh, I definitely got at least a couple books coming from some from some kind of uh, publishers. And well, authors. if you can pay my airfare and let me sleep on your couch, I promise to bring some books <laughs> yeah. to donate. <laughs> 
<laughs> Dead silence. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, okay. I was I was muted because I'm chewing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> the dead silence was awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, as you guys know, I have a little bit of a collector holic, and uh, just recently my uh, collecting sobriety has gone into major relapse, uh, thanks to uh, podcasts like Vetrix Radio. And the ColecoVisions podcast, I am now a proud owner of two Vectrex wow. systems and a few ColecoVisions. And I actually just got a ColecoVision from an Atari Age member. He sold it to me. And it's actually got a um, video upgrade called the F-18A. Oh. And you might also know that that's also available for the TI-99 and some other uh, retro computers. And I just got it on Friday, so I'm going to be trying it out soon. And I'm really excited about that because it, it basically gets rid of the flicker on the screen and it looks great, as you could just imagine. Now, one of my co-workers is finally listening to the podcast. Uh, hi. Hi. Hi from all of us, if you're listening to us. <clears throat> hi, co-worker. Yes. Yeah. Now, my co-worker, which I'll, which I'll leave nameless, uh, I usually have a little bit of fun with him. He knows I'm into retro, so you know we'd be sitting in our cubicles and I'd just say, hey, have you listened to the podcast? Yes. No, I haven't had a chance. Thanks for your support. <laughs> so anyway, he finally emailed me and wanted to know how to get a hold of the podcast, and I gave it to him, so hopefully he hears this. And also, my mailman is uh, going to be a new uh, listener as well. Wow. Yeah, I got I, I got to know him, and he knew I was into retro, and so sort of like, you know, when a box would come, I'd say, oh, great, this is my Coleco, or great, this is my Atari thing. So it kind of started off like that first, but... If you get if you buy something from Best, I think they wrap it in that uh, Atari uh, wrapping paper, the the um, the tape. Oh wow! It's got the Atari logo all over it. That's that's always cool to get in the mail. Like it looks like something time traveled to your mailbox. Neat. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I'm I'm getting used to dealing with the fame and dealing with all yeah. the peeps and everything. But there's no fortune as I have fame, but no fortune. But anyway, uh, now just to talk a little bit about uh, my experience so far with the Ultimate Cart. So a bunch of people may have noticed on Facebook. I posted uh, that I received an ultimate cart and I was hacking away and modifying an XC game cart in order to fit the little board into it. And uh, what's great about the ultimate cart is its ease of use. So what's the point of the cart? The point of the cart is to be able to handle multiple file and banking uh, switching bank switching types. So for example, bank switching types are XCGS, Williams, Atari Max, SICK, SDX, OSS, MegaCart, to name a few of the diverse uh, banked cartridge formats available for the Atari 8-bit. So, for example, if, if you have an Atari Max My ID E2 cartridge, it supports only a limited number of banking schemes. Hmm. That's where the ultimate SD cart steps in, uh, running a whole variety of cartridge ROMs straight from the SD. It's very convenient. Just drag and drop the files onto an SD card and you're ready to go. No need for proprietary software. And you can use your uh, joystick to navigate through uh, the very simple menu. And you press the fire uh, button to load the file. Oh, neat. So uh, the My IDE2, that one's a, a compact flash-based, right? I believe so, yes. Okay, yeah. See, that's, that's my problem. Is I've got all these laptops with SD cards and you know phones with micro SD. So I've got a lot of things that do SD, but I don't have anything that does CF anymore. So that's kind of why I've... Held off on the My ADE. I have SIO2 SD for disk emulation, but something like the Ultimate SD sounds like a pretty good solution as well. Yes. Because um, again, like you said, the, the drag and drop, uh, you know, I, I run Linux, so I'm always kind of like limping along when it comes to some of the software. Yeah. Unless people are writing in Java, Java. Or, or, yeah. 
Well. And I don't like Java that much. <laughs> <laughs> Oy, well, the future. <clears throat> you like C sharp better? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so if you do take a look, you, I will leave a, like a link in the show notes. But if you take, do take a look and go to his website, uh, you'll find out that uh, what motivated him to start up, to produce this card was that he did a lot of, I think, programming himself, but. He just had a whole bunch, a collection of these different kind of flashcard devices because not every cart would do every kind of uh, bank switching scheme. Right, right. So was, was that he... was the purpose of this cart. And it's an FPGA-based cart. Uh, and I believe also it's been updated uh, now. So it will also run XEX files as well. So, yeah, I think uh, Bill said, what's the guy's name who created it? The person that I know uh, directly, who I originally saw posting on Atari Age, he goes by Electro Trains. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Now, uh, real quick question about the ColecoVision, uh, the F eighteen, because I'm familiar yes. with it with, for the TI ninety nine, which I'm, it's completely awesome. Are there any games that have some somebody's written for it yet? Uh, from what I know, I don't think so. Oh, okay. But uh, from what I've seen, uh, the games do seem to look be- much better. Oh, they are. <laughs> and even, and even if I'm not, uh, if I'm not incorrect, I have seen some things. I believe online, there's a few. Not there's just a few limited the ColecoVision um, F18A uh, mod videos. But mm-hmm. I remember seeing one in which also almost it seemed to change slightly, like the aspect ratio of the game. Yeah. So it kind of looked more like an arcade right. game. Now, it is does. that the original game or is that the original game modified to look like that? I don't really know. Just to let you know, uh, I just looked it up right now. Electro Trains is, mm-hmm. is Robin Edwards. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And we'll put a link in the show notes uh, so they can go directly on to the Ultimate SD Multicart website and, and let the people read. Now, there are a bunch of other people building this cart. And by the time that people listen to this podcast, it's probably at least um, the person that I bought the ultimate cart was from Greece. Mm-hmm. He, he goes, his name is Panos, uh, but he uses the Atari H handle of, I think it's Sandstop, S-A-N-S-T-O-P. And he was uh, advertising on the thread that he was wanting to know who was interested as he was going to do a run. But there are other people, because I believe it's an open source project. So there are other people who will be also making these cards. So if you haven't got one, uh, don't worry. But, you know, register an Atari age. Go to the go to the thread, you know, uh, start asking people, you know, you're interested. And uh, there are there are a few people that should be making them. So they should be still available. I feel like you're talking directly to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely looking for some kind of solution like this because I'm not going to collect other cartridges. I just want something I just dump a bunch of files on there and play the game. So, Well, you know what the thing is? Like, uh, if you see in the show notes, and of course the listeners don't see the show notes, but you can take a look at the card type files, Mm -hmm. and you see it's quite large. It's a pretty good mm -hmm. list. So yeah. you you know you ran into one problem with one of the games. You said it was something to do with a header, and somebody already had a solution for it. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. So what had happened was I downloaded the uh, the Mario Brothers uh, mm-hmm. XE version off of Atari Mania, and it was a ROM file. But the thing was the header on the file uh, was was missing the correct bank switching scheme. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it would give an error on the ultimate cart. So what happened is a really nice um, member from Atari Age 
I, I basically attached the the file, the image that wasn't working for me, mm-hmm. and he went ahead and uh, gave me a working copy. And he told me when I asked him what was the issue, he said it was a bad header. Oh, okay. But now Bill, being that I'm completely I- ignorant when it comes to stuff like this, could you explain to uh, my ig- other ignorant people like me what exactly when we're talking about the header of the file, what it means? Well, um, uh, no, because uh, I okay, don't deal with, I don't I don't deal <laughs> I don't deal with raw files. So f- so and, far for yeah. so much for my resident expert. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like I, I've got I've got an Atari Max flash cart, and I have it loaded with a bunch of executables that you would normally load from DOS. I mean, that's yeah, <laughs> that's as far as I've gone. That's why I'm interested in the in the Ultimate SD because that means a drag and drop. I don't need to plug in a a, a device and yes into USB and boot up Windows and blah, blah, blah to, to get things loaded. So Unless I'm going to tell um, you, I'm going to tell you the whole thing about this cart is the ease of use. That's mm-hmm. cool. It's just all I do, take out the SD card, you know, plug it into my computer, throw a bunch of images on, put it back in the Zegs, f- fire it up, and, it's, and, <coughs> all the, and, and, and all of the games are in alphabetical order, and you just navigate with your joystick, and you press your fire button, and you go. I, Sweet, it's awesome. So, so I, I know Mario Brothers is a 64k game, um, and I know this because I just downloaded a ROM and <laughs> and unzipped it and saw that it was 64k. Wow. Um, d- do either of you guys remember what the actual cart bank size is? is, is I think it like it's 128k. No, no, no. I mean, no, no. on the oh. on the Atari, the, the actual width of of memory that the cartridge can take up is is only 8k, right? So That's anything correct. over 8k, yeah. yeah okay, so anything bank over 8k switching. requires bank switching. So. Yep. And I think like um, some of the OSS carts might have been some of the earliest that actually did that trick. Um, yeah. So, like, but I know, but I know that in order to, for you to get a, a copy of this game that would work on an Atari Max cart, uh, you actually there's uh, I went on the forums. The, the Atari Max has its own forums, and I went there, mm-hmm. and somebody had created uh, one that was modified to work on an Atari uh, Max. Um, Flash cart. Okay, because and then since since the Ultimate SD can simulate the X, the, the Atari Max cart. Oh yes, you can basically use that as well, right? Yeah, yeah, because now okay, they've cool. updated the firmware where it will, will now also do executables. Oh, well, I mean, isn't, right. that, isn't that the XEX? Is that what we yes. call executables? Okay, moving on because I know Michael. Eventually, you're going to have like a big old like yeah, well, this document is, yeah. covering all this cool stuff. Well, so that's let's... the thing. Yeah, I've been looking for a lot, looking through a lot of this information, and some of it just kind of escapes me. So this is uh, or not escapes me, but it, I, I I get lost in the the technical details because like, what does this mean? But uh, I'm interested in David's. Uh, he doesn't tell me now, but. Uh, yes. Sit down. What's his experience? I could ask him some questions. He, yeah. I can kind of bounce things off him to get more information <laughs> about these things. Because I'm trying to do a whole large list of comparison between all these devices, so that when people are looking for something, they find something that fits their needs, and they can sit yeah. there and go, "This works better for me." In this case, even sometimes it's shipping. You know, like uh, you know, I, shipping from uh, Poland is going to be at twenty bucks for me. Mm-hmm. Something I get locally might be a little more attractive. So. Yeah. Well, to tell you the truth, uh, the shipping from uh, Greece was, uh, I, I, I can't remember right now off the top of my head, but I'm sure it was less than $20. Okay. Nice. And uh, I paid more, I've paid more than $20 for getting stuff yeah, in the continental yeah. U.S., oh, God, so yes. the shipping wasn't expensive at all. Now, I will let you in on a little secret. I bought a second one. 
So um, maybe what we can do is when I get the second one and get that one all working, I may be able to mail the first one to you, Michael. Oh, cool. And if you want, you can try it out and uh, see if you like it, and it would be good research for you. Well, that's cool. Um, so uh, what have I been up to? Well, uh, Floppy Days, I was supposed to create an image for their new uh, icon, and that fell through because my daughter bailed on me, and then I got so busy with my bathroom and good stuff like that. So I instead gave a submission for the TI-99, which I also talked about the F-18A in that uh, submission. And then I plan to attend the TI Fest West 2016 in Centralia, Washington on April 30th. Not Atari-related, but I this is my first... Um, one of these things I've attended since probably the 80s. So um, it'll be kind of interesting seeing these uh, other people. And then I'll you know wear my little tag that says XEG as part. Well, yeah, what, what you do is you do like Kevin and those guys did when they went to Kansas Fest and just like, yeah, we're going to start talking about Ataris and why they're <laughs> yeah. better. <laughs> Slam on a table. <laughs> you wanted me to bring this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we can all still agree. Yeah. Boo Commodore. Boo Commodore. Yeah, well, I'll just get a bunch of Atari people to just kind of take it over. No, I... <laughs> No, well, just to let you guys know, uh, um, I did I did the communicate with um, I was communicating with um, Randy from the Antic mm-hmm. Card by Card podcast, and he has made a note of it uh, for uh, the Manly Men to uh, have a re- response to uh, Michael's uh, comments on episode one. Okay. Well, bring it. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you mean uh, Kevin? Oh yeah, Kevin's uh, Kevin yeah. Savitz and um... yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, but um, since I'm the collector of the group, um, I'm sure I'll be you know welcome with open arms, hopefully uh, at the TI one because I've got three of them, so I'm legit. So, and the last uh, thing, um, I thought originally when I spoke in the last podcast, I said Rob was on his hiatus. Because of course he's creating his his programs that uh, that amazing application, and I think he's working on something else too. And he's man, the guy is busy, and he's also still doing the podcast, which is amazing. So I submitted my uh, my submission to him for the um, the Soft Side magazine recently, although he hasn't uh, published yet. Uh, I expect that to be coming out pretty soon. So that's that's pretty much what I've been up to. Game one review. So first up, we're going to review Mario Brothers for the XE game system. Um, this one was published by Atari in 1988, um, model number RX8103, and this is a platform game. So this game was developed by Sculptured Software, uh, which was founded in 1984 and later uh, acquired by Acclaim in 1995. Um, They focused uh, mostly on porting games, especially from arcade to console. Uh, They did a lot of 8-bit ports between 86 and 88, and then moved on to Super Nintendo and some of the more new 16-bit stuff uh, soon after that. So the description of Mario Brothers from Wikipedia is, Mario Brothers features two plumbers, Mario and Luigi. You guys heard of him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, everybody's heard of him. Pumped up once in a while. This is what I didn't know. Having to investigate the sewers of New York. I didn't realize it was New York. Uh, after strange creatures have been, have been appearing down there, the objective of the game is to defeat all of the enemies in each phase. Phase is their word for level or wave, or everybody had a different name for stuff back then. Uh, Mario Brothers originally released uh, by Nintendo in 1983 as an arcade game. It reprises the role of Donkey Kong's protagonist, Jumpman, not to be confused with the Atari Commodore Jumpman, uh, but renames him to Mario and gives him a brother, Luigi. 
Uh, it was created by Shigeru Miyamoto, um, who we know from Donkey Kong, Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, Pikmin. Um, and I believe it was Nintendo's 17th arcade game. Uh, and it came after some of their more famous titles like Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., and Popeye. Hmm. The gameplay description, um, and this is from the XEGS instructions, but the game seems to pretty much match the arcade, uh, from what I can tell. Uh, it's for one or two players, where two players play simultaneously, and it is uh, best to cooperate. Um, it's a single screen with platforms that you run across and jump between, and the screen wraps around. So in other words, if you go off to the right edge, you, pe- you appear back over on the left. Um, the controls are left and right to run, and the button to jump. You cannot change direction in midair, like some less realistic games out there. Uh, there are large pipes at the top and bottom, and the uh, crawling enemies pop out of the pipes at the top, and if they reach the bottom before you kill them, they uh, re- basically go through the pipe at the bottom and reappear up at the top. So there are a couple different kinds of enemies. Uh, the main ones you're focusing on are the crawling enemies, and I'll get into the different types in a moment. Uh, basically, you need to clear each phase of these by um, first bumping on the enemies from below, and then uh, touching them, basically kicking them by running through them to knock them off the level, and they go flying down to the bottom and splashing some water that's kind of off screen, I guess. Um, if you don't kick them off, they'll eventually flip back over and uh, actually return as a more aggressive uh, version. Usually they're a bit faster, and uh, you can tell the, which mode they are by what color scheme they are. If you bump into a knocked-over enemy, uh, they turn back around and start walking around again um, without becoming more aggressive. The uh, last surviving crawling enemy immediately switches to its most aggressive mode. And uh, if you ever played Dig Dug, that's kind of like uh, once you get all but the very last baddie, uh, he kind of starts going extra fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in in Dig Dug, they're kind of they're trying to get away from you, whereas in this one, they're just more aggressive, so they're actually more dangerous. So after you kick an enemy off a, off the screen, a coin appears from the uh, the last pipe that the enemy came out of up at the top, um, and you can run through it or bump it from uh, the little platform below to collect it. And um, these coins will return in Super Mario Brothers. And basically every game Nintendo ever made after that. <laughs> so kind of like Pac-Man when you uh, gobble multiple ghosts with a uh, uh, one power pellet. In Mar Brothers, you get increasing points for kicking multiple enemies off screen in, in succession. So for example, you can get 800 points for the first one, but if you immediately knock over another one, you get 1,600 points for that, 2,400 for the next one, 3,200 for the next one. So if you get hit four real quickly, you can actually get 8,000 points versus you know, doing them one at a time, getting only 3,200 points. So that's a good way to get a high score. All right, so the, uh, the types of these crawling enemies include the shell creepers, um, which are turtles, basically. And if you know anything about Super Mario Brothers, uh, they look basically like Koopa Troopers. Um, sidesteppers, which are basically crabs. What's special about them is they actually become mad when you first bump into them. Uh, so you actually have to bump them twice from below before they flip over and you can kick them off. Uh, there's the fighter fly, which is some kind of insect, kind of like a firefly, I guess. I don't know. Weird pun. Um, it actually hops as it, as it uh, crawls around, so you can only bump it while its feet are on the platform. So you have to time it pretty precisely to, to get it to knock over. And then finally, um, later on, there's something called the slip ice, which is a little snowman guy. He actually dies when you bump him from below. And he slides around the screen, and he eventually stops on a particular platform uh, and turns into ice. And it becomes slippery and hard to run on. So if you try to stop, you don't do that little and stop. You actually just keep going until you probably crash into some other enemy. So, <laughs> um, so every every few phases, uh, new kinds of crawling enemies appear. There's different combinations of them that they start mixing them up with. 
And then there's a few other kinds of enemies. There's the fireballs. Uh, they can be destroyed by bumping uh, the platform right below them when they're actually really close to it. There are blue ones, which appear on the left or right edges of the screen, um, fly across it, whatever level they're on, and disappear. And then the orange one, which actually appears and just kind of bounces around like a pissed-off warlord's flame um, or <laughs> breakout ball or something. You just bounce all over the place and, yeah, just... Infuriate. I hate those. Oh, I hate those. And then there's icicles, which... I believe we're in this game, but I, <laughs> I'm not that good at this game to get far enough to actually find it. Um, well, I've never gotten up to that level. Yeah, they become uh, they begin forming at the bottom of the platforms, and you have to punch them before they fully form to destroy. Uh, they first appear in phase 16, which, yeah, that's way further than I think yeah. ever. And then every few up phases, there's a coin phase, and it usually seems to appear right before they have a new kind of enemy to introduce. So... For example, you play a couple levels with the shell creepers, then there's a coin phase, and then there's the first level that include that uh, introduces the uh, the sidestepper. Um, you have a time limit to collect all the coins on the screen. The the first one they give you 18 seconds, but then after that you only get 13 seconds to jump all over the place. And basically the coins kind of hang from the bottom of the platforms, so you actually have to jump and probably come up with a really good scheme of jumping certain places to to collect them all before time runs out. Um, you get bonus points uh, awarded if you collect them all, kind of like Pokemon. Yeah. Um, there's also a PAL box at the very bottom. And first time I saw that again was in Super Mario Bros. 2 for the NES. It was a little object you could pick up, carry around, and then drop. And oh, um, yeah. in both games, it, it basically hits all the enemies at once. Um, except for in, Mar in regular Mario Brothers, this game that we're reviewing, um, they have to be touching the platform. So if they're in a pipe or if they're falling down or if it's a, a fighter fly that's hopping, it's it's not going to do any damage to them. And the other thing to remember is if you already have some knocked over enemies, it's going to knock them back upright. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I kind of, if I play it with my son, I'm like, let's just get the pow out of the way because he's just going to screw me up. If, he's <laughs> if I'm about to kick a guy and all of a sudden he's resurrecting him. Um, <laughs> If you lose a life by touching one of these non-flipped enemies or a flame or a icicle, uh, you reappear floating on a little platform at the very top. Uh, the platform eventually disappears after a few seconds, um, and then you drop straight down. Or you can move off it or jump off it whenever you want to. And uh, from what I can tell you, you get extra lives. Uh, well, extra life at 20,000 points. Um, I'm not sure if it's every 20,000 points. That wasn't actually clear to me. So let's see. The, yeah, so let's see. Yeah, oh, so I'm yeah? guessing you need to get to 40,000 points then. Uh, I don't think I don't know if I've gotten to forty thousand points. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you would have, know. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a high. Well, I mean, if I did, it was a long time ago. Yeah. I don't have a high. I don't have a high score uh, binder like Shinto. <laughs> All right. So legacy. There are tons of ports, remakes. Re, um, releases as mini games within other games. I'm not going to list all of them, but basically, if you touch anything that has Mario on it, there's there may or may not be a Mario Brothers of some version, at least hiding in it, if not right there up front. So it was followed up, obviously, by Super Mario Brothers for the uh, Nintendo NES slash Famicom in 1985. And it became, their, became Nintendo's flagship series. And you can still see Mario all the freaking heck everywhere. Um, he's basically their mascot. And he's pretty cool. So yeah. um, you don't see Luigi quite as much. <laughs> no, <laughs> he, didn't, he wasn't in Super Mario Brothers. It's funny. It's like, eh, you know, we liked you in the Mario Brothers. but No, no, he is. He is. He is. But, uh, if you play two-player, player two plays as Luigi. So Does he really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. yeah I guess I didn't have any friends. So to yeah. play with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, wah, wah. 
he did have some of his own games. He had Luigi's Mansion and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, I know Mario is basically the 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 loved son, I suppose, of Nintendo. So um, kind of going reverse legacy here. The XCGS version that we're talking about here, this uh, aforementioned 64 kilo- kilobyte version, um, is not a port of the 5200 version from 1983 that Atari released. Um, that version was actually cracked and ported to the uh, 400, 800, and the XLs uh, back in the day, back in Ferg, uh, by Glenn the 5200 man. And uh, obviously released illegally, um, and it is available for you to download today. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, an official 8-bit release of that was planned, uh, and a prototype exists, and it was shown at the January 1984 Atari uh, Home Computers catalog, but never came out. So comparing this one to that one, in my opinion, that earlier version has nicer-looking pipes, mm. and it has more complete animations when the turtles flip back over. In, in the arcade and the 5200 versions, um, the turtles kind of hop out of their shell, and they're basically like... Yeah, naked, and they put their shell back on and flip over. In this one, they just kind of like kick their legs a w- little bit and then flip over. Right. Um, but otherwise, it's not quite as solid as a port. It's it's missing a lot of features because it's a much smaller game. Um, the graphics a little bit more. Uh, it's not exactly flickery, but it's kind of like when things overlap, they kind of cancel each other out. It's kind of an XOR f- effect or something. Right. Um, but uh, but I did have a poster of this from one of my Atari Age magazines. I think up on my wall when I was a kid. Oh wow! So, yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Lots of people had like rock bands and and yeah. you know bikini girls and stuff. No, I had I had fifty two hundred Mario. <laughs> well, uh, when I was a teenager, since I was a nerd, uh, my mother had somebody come and paint a mural of the USS Enterprise NCC seventeen oh one on my wall. Wow. Ah, ah, but was it the 1701 or the 1701A? No. B? 1701, <laughs> old school. Wow. That's that pretty- is, yeah, you, you, your, your uh, friends probably, you know, after the D&D games are probably very impressed of seeing yeah. that. Well, I made, I made, I made a, I made a Doctor Who TARDIS out of a shoebox for my four-year-old. So. Yeah. <laughs> is this a third competition? <sighs> Fight. Yeah. <laughs> All right, notable features of Mario Brothers for the XEGS. Um, you can start at different phases, uh, basically based on the first appearance of enemies. So you can uh, start at level one, the first level, obviously, with shell, and, and the icon for that is the Shell Creeper. Um, you can start at phase four, which is the sidestepper, little crab guy. You can start at phase six, uh, the fighter fly, or you can start at uh, phase nine, the first one with the slip ice. Still seven levels away from that icicle that I've still never seen, but... <laughs> Um, so you can use the uh, start select option console keys or the joystick to, to change the options one or two players and, and level and to start the game. The title screen actually switches to an attract mode with a demo of gameplay, which is cool. So if you just leave it turned on, it plays itself. Before each level with a new kind of enemy, including every level that you can start from on the title screen, it includes a little demo explaining how to deal with the enemy. So for example, the it says, you know, bump from below as a turtle goes by and Mario bumps him and then, you know, jump up and Mario jumps up and then kick him and he kicks him and collect coin and and then you begin the game. So that's pretty cool. And then finally, um, you can press the select key to pause. Um, I was trying to space key out of habit, um, but it occurred to me that the select key is a good choice for an XCGS game since you might not have a keyboard attached or one at all. All 
All right, where to buy this game? Ah, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I cannot find it at Best Electronics, Beansy wow. Computer Visions, or Bravo Sierra. I found one listing of it on eBay back in late January, four ninety nine dollars. Oh my god! Well, so, that's card only. That's eBay for you. Yeah. So when I die, this is gonna be one of those cards that my wife has to sell to pay for my funeral or something. Seriously. But by the time you die, it'll probably be worth nothing again. It'll be just. No, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I put all my money in cards. Oh God. No, I bought this. So I bought this game uh, from some computer electronics store back in. The day, 8899, it was right around, oh, maybe it must have been 90, right around the time the Super Nintendo came out. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, cool, I can still get a Mario game for the Atari. Oh, look at that. You know, I mean, I knew it wasn't Super Mario Brothers because I had that on the NES, and I knew it wasn't the Super Super Mario's, um, Mario, Mario World, I guess, on the SNES because it was sitting right there doing its cool thing. Um, but man, I still walked away with that $30, $40 game, however much it was yeah. back then. Um, and it was, yeah, the last cart and you know maybe cart number five i owned probably um that i bought uh back before i got on the internet back in the early 90s so um so let's see some other ports uh reviews are out there the 7800 game by game podcast episode 20 covers my brothers for the 7800 and presumably eventually both the 5200 super podcast and the 2600 game by game podcast will review those uh particular systems versions of the game so uh let's talk about reviewing this game um Here's what I gave it, and these are out of 10, and um, graphics. I give it 8 out of 10. It's got really nice multi-frame animation with very little flicker. It's a little off compared to the arcade. Uh, the pipes seem a little bit flat. Mario and Luigi have kind of green skin. I think maybe they're not feeling so well being down in the sewers, maybe. <laughs> Their face is a little bit of a different shape than I'm used to, especially after having the Super, Ni- Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo at the time. Um, to me, that almost seems like some hacker could come through and change the sprites, and I'll be happy. And it's, it's not a fantastic example of the hardware capabilities of the Atari. I mean, it doesn't have, like, hundreds of colors. It's not doing 3D animation. That said, it does a really good job at recreating this arcade game. Yeah. Uh, sound effects, 7 out of 10. Music, 7 out of 10. Um, it's got the music on the title screen. It's got the different intro musics for each different kind of enemy. It's got the new level start music. It's got the bonus music when you get all the coins at the end of the uh, coin phases. Playability-wise, I give this a 9 out of 10. I mean, I'm not a, like... I almost said I'm not a Super Mario Brothers fan. I'm not a super fan of Mario Brothers, let's say. (laughs) But, I mean, this one is one I definitely do come back to every once in a while. And now that I got that Ed Ladin double stick controller for the 7800, it's like playing the arcade. It's so nice. nice. Um, Controls, 10 out of 10. Um, It really feels just like Mario Brothers. Uh, Replayability, 9 out of 10. So my average is 8 out of 10. David, what did you give this? Uh, well, Bill, I gave it an 8 out of 10 for graphics. It, this game actually was programmed from the ground up for the XE line, and it's a great upgrade to the original 8-bit uh, 5200 cartridge version. Uh, the turtles have good animation, uh, especially with their little mouths moving. Uh, Mario and Luigi do look a little seasick, as their faces are kind of green in appearance as compared to the original uh, 8-bit game. Now, for sound effects, I gave it an 8 out of 10. It's got a decent variety of sounds. Music, I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, nice intro tune and uh, s- sounds good for what you get. Maybe a little bit hard on that, but I know I've played a lot of other games where, uh, you know, there's a lot more music or stuff like that. So anyway, gameplay and playability, I give it an 8 out of 10. It's a challenging game on its own, but it's really shines as a frantic multiplayer. That That's where I would really enjoy this game. 
the controls are 9 out of 10. Uh, controls are good for the most part. I have to get used to the sliding mechanic. And, uh, and you got to be running in a certain direction to jump in that direction. I found myself a lot of times just pressing the button to jump, and I just went straight up and back down. Uh, replayability, I give it an 8 out of 10, especially due to the two-player option. A lot of fun with friends. And so that comes with an average of 8 out of 10. A must-buy for any Mario and Atari fan. Cool. Well, I guess... Save, save your pennies. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm collecting the coins. <laughs> oh, God. I think, I think buy the game eventually on eBay for $99. Yeah. So <laughs> I give I give the graphics a seven. It looks very similar to the arcade games, but the colors are sort of limited and they look kind of blocky. Sound effects, again, very close, but not exactly. Music isn't exactly the same. So all these things are getting very close. So I give that a seven or excuse me, I give the music an eight. Gameplay and playability, I give it an eight. I think it's a fun experience. Um, I felt it was a little bit slower than the arcade. It didn't react as well, but pretty close. And, of course, they offer all the characters in the game, so that's awesome. Controls, eight. Controls are very close to the arcade game, but, again, like I said, a little bit slower. So um, replayability, I give it an eight as well. Uh, I think the game is very challenging, and with two-player option, I feel that you could play this thing for hours. I, I, in fact, I'll, I'll say this. I used to play this in the arcades. I remember going to the arcades. We had a bowling alley. I'd go up there and play this game all the time. I loved it. I think this is pretty close to the arcade version. So if you were to have this and play it, I think most people would be very happy with uh, the gameplay experience. So as an average, I give it a 7.5 out of 10. I think it's a pretty good purchase. Great, yeah. Um, one ex- external review I looked at uh, was the Video Game Critic, and they give it a uh, B plus. Okay. So they agree with us. Great. <laughs> so uh, next, I'm going to do a real mini uh, overview of Joust and uh, and why. Well, you'll find out. Um, so this was uh, a 1983 release by Atari. It was a 1987 re-release in the XE style. This was right before the XEGS, though, and uh, both versions, I guess, are RX. 8044 is the model number, and it was developed by Atari internally. Uh, so this was a 1982 Williams Arcade game, um, upon which Mario Brothers was obviously influenced. So some of the similarities, one or two player simultaneous play, single screen of platforms with wraparound, defeat enemies that get generated via two-step attack in Joust, you, uh, you hit them and then you collect their egg. If you don't do the second step, the enemy regenerates as a more re- aggressive form. So in Joust, they hatch, and you get a different kind of bird. Left, right, and up. So in, uh, in Joust, it's flapping versus Mario's jumping, but that's it. Left, right, and button. Uh, and both games have a bonus round. In Joust, it's the egg wave. That one's a little bit different than the coin wave. And in the egg wave in Joust, the eggs will eventually hatch to a screen full of evil enemies. Whereas in Mario Brothers, you just run out of time and you don't get a bonus. So some of the differences. Uh, some levels in Joust award end-of-level bonuses. So, for example, there's a survivor mode, gladiator mode, where if you're playing two players, you, one of your minor objectives is to kill your friend. Cooperative mode, which is the opposite. And uh, if, if neither of you kill each other, you get a bonus at the end. Some of the platforms disappear and later reappear uh, on certain waves of Joust, including the, the very bottom of the screen. A big chunk of that goes away. Uh, and there's some lava down there with a little flame hand that will grab you or the enemies and pull you into the, into the lava at the bottom. So that's a, an additional kind of enemy. The enemies, as well as uh, your own birds, generate on the platforms, whereas in Mario, they, they, you all basically come up from the top in the pipes or near the pipes. 
Eggs can actually be lost in lava and joust. There's only one other kind, uh, or basically one kind of typical enemy, that's the buzzard, with the different aggressiveness levels, whereas in Mario Brothers you have enemies that act slightly differently. So if you have the crab versus the turtle versus the fight or fly. Some hits against enemies cause no damage to either player. That's jousting. Um, and in Joust, uh, you get the pterodactyl enemy that appears in higher levels and, and comes and seeks you out. I guess the closest thing to that in Mario is the, the little fireballs that bounce around. And yeah, so Mario Brothers basically took the egg concept and split it into two things. It's the, the coins as the bonus and the flipping slash kicking attack to, to get rid of the enemy. So you have kind of three things going on there. So where do you want to? Uh, where can you buy Joust? Best Electronics has it for twenty one fifty uh, nine ninety five cart only. BNC Computer Visions has it for twenty nine ninety five twenty dollars cart only. Bravo Sierra uh, lists it for ten, and I saw it on eBay back in January for eleven dollars and up. So yeah, check out uh, uh, our friend Karen's uh, Laird's Lair Excellent Arcade Games uh, video number five over on YouTube for um, a review of Joust there. And our friend Phil, the No Swear Gamer, in his episode 5 of the 7800 Game by Game podcast, he talks about the uh, 7800 version of Joust. Cool. Game 2. Review. Well, I guess it's time for my review of Blue Max. So just a little bit up front here. Um, I love World War uh, One planes. Um, I played Red Baron in the arcades back in junior high. And when I got the ST, I played Knights of the Sky. It was a little bit slow on my ST, but still I'd play hours of that. And then when I got my PC, I joined a couple of squads online playing Red Baron 3D. And just a little shout out to my squads, Yasta9 and PJ666. I actually purchased Blue Max on disc, but these were games that really captured my uh, interest, and I really enjoyed the game when I originally purchased it. So um, the publisher was originally Synapse Software. Uh, they, I guess in the UK they were called Synsoft, and they also went as US Gold at some point. Then Broderbund purchased them in uh, late 84. Atari also uh, produced it for the XEGS. They're on there. The model number is RX8081. It's an action game. And like I said before, uh, it was developed by Synapse Software. Sculpture Software also did the port. And the original designer was Bob Polin. And uh, the guy originally was a blackjack player. And then he went to a game program. So interesting uh, job change. The cover art was Tim Boxell. And it's just a single player game. So let me read the description on the XEGS box. The uh, description on the disc box is slightly different and actually more, uh, more interesting. But uh, it's June 1915. World War One is raging. The Allies are trying to hold on to Europe, and the Royal Air Force is a key weapon launched against the Axis powers. While flying a reconnaissance mission, Max Chadsworth sees his entire squadron cut down by the enemy. He vows to avenge the death of his comrades and shoots down 20 planes in the following month. This daring feat makes him one of the greatest fighter pilots in history. Relive Chadsworth's exploits as he flies over war-torn Europe. You are the Blue Max of the RAF in command of the biplane fighter bomber. Enemy fighters dive and attack. Machine guns are chattering. From the ground, guns mounted on tanks and ships fire salvo after salvo. 
Your mission is to bomb the enemy's airfields and bridges and destroy as many planes as possible. To earn your reputation, you must make the final assault on three specific marked targets along the river. You have only one aircraft and limited fuel. Good luck, Ace, for crown and glory. Which I found none. You found, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so let me give you a description of the game. The gameplay is similar to the game Zaxxon. I think we're all familiar with that game. But the worldview is a bleak projection. The game's options screen, you got difficulty, control layout, and gravity. Your biplane starts out on your aerodrome landing strip. To take off, your airspeed has to be at least 100 miles per hour or you will crash. Destroy the planes, tanks, cars, bridges, anti-aircraft guns, ships using your machine gun or bombs. Destroy a certain number, it says that on the instructions, of targets, of specific marked targets to advance to the next level. Buildings and bridges have flashing red, uh, white bullseye. If you see a plane that's flashing blue, you want to shoot that. Uh, you have flashing blue cars and red ships. You have to fly at a certain level to strafe the ground targets. On your command window, you have the fuel, bomb count, airspeed, altitude, score, and you have damage indicators. Uh, when, you're, when you take damage, uh, they say fuel leak, bomb gear damage, decreased maneuverability, machine gun damage, and if all are lit, the next hit destroys you. Other indicators, uh, you have a W for wind factor. That'll basically make you move from left to right. If a runway is approaching, you'll get an R. And when you, uh, you have to lower your landing gear, to, to land on the runway, and now you just basically just press your fire button to do that. And then if you get an asterisk, uh, you get uh, that just basically means an enemy uh, plane is above your runway. Bar at the bottom will change different colors depending on situations. Uh, hit turns you red. If it's blue, an enemy plane is at the same altitude as you. If it's brown, it's strafing altitude. Flashing yellow means flying too low and you're going to crash. And flashing green means your mission is complete. So that means you've uh, hit all the targets you need to to advance to the next level. You land at friendly runways to replenish your fuel or bombs, or fuel and bombs, and repair your damage. And while you're on the ground, enemy planes will fly over and attempt to bomb you. So do your best effort to um, land at a certain spot where that will not happen. And you can also abort that process and continue on if you got enough fuel or you don't need to be repaired. And when you see the demo screen, it plays Rule Britannia. The title and the publisher are displayed. It's also different on the uh, main screen for the for the uh, cartridges as for the disc because, of course, uh, different people produced it. So let me tell you a little bit about the Blue Max info and some trivia errors and inconsistencies. So I'm going to use the disc box as a reference as well. So the cart box doesn't say anything about what kind of plane you're flying, but the disc says you're flying a British Sopwith Camel, which is just a fighter. The game takes place in 1915, but the Camel's actual first flight wasn't until uh, December 22nd, 1916, and actually wasn't introduced uh, to uh, the squadrons until 1917. The Sopwith Company never actually had a fighter in 1915. The plane's top speed is 200 miles an hour in the game, but the fastest British plane, the Martin said F-4 Buzzard, 
had a top speed of 145 miles an hour. So for comparison, the Camel's top speed was 150 miles an hour, where the DR-1, you know, uh, Red Baron's airplane, had a top speed of 103 miles an hour. So uh, this is much faster, actually, than any planes that flew in uh, World War One. Bob Pullen's other games were um, Puzzle Panic, and he also did the follow-up, Blue Max 2001. The title of the game is a medal from the German order uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong because it's French. Pour les mérites. Pour les mérites. Thank you. I need, I need, need a Canadian to pronounce it properly. <laughs> it doesn't mean I said it properly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're closer to French speakers than we are down here. Um, it's, it's Remets la bouche. <laughs> My mouth, your mouth. <laughs> Informally known as the Blue Axe, uh, the disc box explains why our hero is actually called the Blue Max, but the card does not. Or I should say the card's box does not. For the uh, British, the uh, top score for World War I was a guy named Edward Mickey Manock, which got a total of 61 kills. There was another thing in there, uh, tanks. Uh, actually, tanks were not available to the military, and, or at least the Germans, until 1918, so the end of the war. So you're shooting things that never actually existed in 1915. You need to lower your landing gear. There was no actual aircraft in World War I that actually had lowering landing gear. So I think that's just a feature of the game, but inconsistency. Um, and they also mentioned the Royal Air Force in both the disc and the, uh, the, the cartridge box. That actually didn't exist until after the war. They actually called themselves the Royal Flying Corps. This game also appeared at the same time on the Commodore 64 and a year later on the ZX Spectrum. There was a follow-up game uh, called Blue Max, Aces of the Great War, and it was appeared on the Amiga and MS-DOS in 1991, but it was a first-person shooter, so really wasn't exactly like this game. Where can you buy this game? Best Electronics, of course, has it $18, loose, loose copy. BNC Computer Visions, $30 in box and $20 cart only. And eBay sealed, $35, cart only, $15 to $19. And we have a few other um, ports and reviews. We have Antic Volume 2, number 7, October 1983, Compute, issue number 44. Atari Mania gave it a 7.8 out of 10. YouTube's have some videos on this. Antic interview with Bob Poland and uh, just recently, actually. And they also uh, interviewed Ihor, uh, Ihor Woloshenko, and he was the co-founder of Synapsis. So what's my review of this game? What I liked about the game? Can I say pretty much everything? I love no, this No, you're not game. allowed to okay. say that. Mm. <laughs> 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 it, it offers slightly challenging levels, which is nice. Constant challenges. I mean, you get one life. Come on. If that's not realism, I don't know what is. And you can bomb moving cars, which is totally sweet. And the cover art is absolutely awesome. I'd love to hang it on the wall. What could use a little bit of improvement? I mean, small little improvements. I would have liked to seen the multiple life option. I'm sure uh, David would have would have liked that as well. Mm-hmm. Me uh-huh. too. Balloons appeared a lot in World War One, and there was no balloons. So that would have been kind of cool as an uh, obstacle. And um, I noticed that when I was shooting some of the planes, the bullets seemed to have gaps. So I'd be right behind a plane and be firing. And eventually, as he flew to a certain position, um, I would hit him. So it seemed like maybe it was could have been me, but it seemed it was like maybe the bullets. So out of 10, I gave graphics 8. Smooth scrolling. Uh, I love the perspective of the game. Uh, city looks a little bit sparse, but still looks good. For sound effects, I gave it a 9. You get guns, flak, engine sounds bomb falling sounds, explosions, and water splashes. For music, I give it a 7. You hear Rural Britannia, which sounded pretty good. It's a good rendition of the song. But it is an original, so I'll give it a little bit less. Gameplay and playability, I gave it a 9. You get three levels of difficulty, plus you get that gravity option, which pulls you down to the ground. And then when things blow up, you get flashing and shaking. Uh, it it's, makes it very challenging. Controls, definitely a 9. 
I like the the fact that you get the normal as well as inverted stick options. Nice. And the responsive was great. And it, I didn't feel like it was detrimental to the game. Uh, replayability, definitely a nine. Uh, challenging even at the novice level, but not too hard. And then as you get better, you can increase the level. So I give this a total of 8.5. David time. Well, for graphics, I gave it an 8 out of 10. I, it's very smooth uh, moving, and there's good scrolling background. Nice plane, tank, and boat graphics. You can tell what the things are uh, that you're looking at. Uh, could use a little bit more variety in the city background. Uh, I just found it, it was like two rows of buildings. So it could have been a little bit more of a city looking. But, I mean, it, it, it don't forget... This is coming from a guy who was like a professional card-counting blackjack player, and this was his first game he ever made. So yeah. it's it's awesome for what it is. Uh, the sound effects are 8 out of 10. Lots of atmosphere, shots, explosion, the screen shaking. I'm telling you, there's so much stuff going on on the screen, I don't have any time to even look at the control panel. <laughs> to even know where, where the P shows up and the R shows up and the L shows up. All I know is I'm flying and something's happening to me. <laughs> okay. The music, great opening game theme, but that's pretty much it. There's not much music to the game. It's just usually the intro and that's about it as far as I found. But don't forget, I didn't finish the game. So please, everybody take my review as with, the, with that caveat. I am not... I, I think I got, what was that level I got? Uh, was it Landing Strip Sweeper? So just remember <laughs> that. Okay. Uh, so uh, gameplay playability, I give it an 8 out of 10. I wish it did have more than one life as I was really afraid of wearing out my start button. Um, <laughs> uh, controls, 8 out of 10. The controls are tight. You go where you want. But for me, I found it difficult to figure out what elevation I was compared to the ground and aerial targets. Again, just as we were talking, you have a control panel that will give you clues uh, if you are at the same level as an enemy or not. But I was so engrossed with what was happening on the screen, I, I, I just I, I could not even look at my control panel. I like the way of how they were able to incorporate the bombing the launching of bombs because you only have one fire button so i like that how depending on how you flew the plane i think you, either you were descending or ascending but uh, you could press the fire button and it would launch the bombs as well i think it was a great use of a one button joystick i also liked how uh, you could press the button and you would uh, rapid fire without having to press the button continuously replayability like any other uh, arcade type game it can be played again and again uh, you work on your high score, you work on your pilot rating, and I gave that an 8 out of 10. So my average was 7.83 out of 10. If So if you want, we'll round it up to 8 out of 10. <laughs> All right. So um, for me, uh, graphics, I gave it a 6. Uh, I thought it looked really nice, and it, it had a nice use of the diagonal smooth scrolling. But um, otherwise, it looked pretty basic. Sound effects were passable. Um, I, I kind of wished it would silence uh, when paused, but I think some of like the the engine noise kept going music i give it a six like you guys said there's just that one song at least so far as i could tell this there's not much to be had it did sound good though gameplay and playability uh i only give it a five i found it very difficult and uh quite a bit more involved than i expected from this game I, I swear that i played some blue max maybe on my brother's commodore as a kid but i guess i didn't remember how difficult it was i'm i'm used to shoot 'em ups basically and this is this is more than a shoot 'em up yeah 
Controls, I gave it a six. I really wish you could use the keyboard for bombing. I don't know how many times I, I crashed or did something stupid because I was trying to bomb by hitting fire and down, and I just basically lose altitude until, oh, crap, it's a tree. Replayability, I only give it a five. I think it's a fer- fairly impressive game, but it's not up my alley, so it's not something that I would really return to. After a few rounds, attempts will maybe be a better word. Um, and in one of those almost included a successful landing, but not quite, I ranked Air Cadet at about 1,030 points. So my va- average is about six out of 10. Are you uh, sure you're not working for the Axis? Yeah. <laughs> you guys ever watch Blackadder? Yes. Yes. Have you seen any German spies? Nine. <laughs> wow, nine. Really? Oh, boy, he's got his work cut out for him. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, let's do a little mini uh, Zaxxon review. Um, so because of the fact that uh, Blue Max is like Zaxxon, we'll talk about that. Uh, Zaxxon was originally uh, published by Sega. It was released on disc and tape by Datasoft and others. It was 1983 when it was released. The model was 008-03. The developer was Ron J. Fortier and uh, develop, uh, Datasoft. So let's give you a description of uh, Zaxxon. Zaxxon is a 1982 isometric shooter arcade game developed and released by Sega. The game is uh, derived from an axonometric. That's hard to say. The type of perspective used in the game. The game gives the player an experience of flying a fighter craft through the fortress while shooting enemy entities like missiles, enemy gunfire, etc. The object of the game is to hit as many targets as possible without being shot down or running out of fuel. You can replenish that fuel by shooting up fuel drums, which is sort of strange, but that's whatever. That's, that's like a video game trope. Yeah, I know. So, re- it's a- so realistic. So realistic. Yeah, destroy the things you're supposed to consume. <laughs> Okay, whatever. Well, no, but no, I, no. I, what you're misunderstanding is, see, what happens is you bomb the fuel. Mm-hmm. The fuel then uh, turns into its <laughs> gaseous form. And oh, on your and ship, you, a vac- you, have vacuum these, cleaner? you have these scoops. Oh, like, right? on the, like <laughs> the Star Trek Enterprise. The yeah, buzzards. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. buzzards, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. And they suck in the little droplets uh-huh. Of fuel. Okay. And I'm with you. It's very, it's quite, it's quite uh, nothing special, really. <laughs> so a little bit of trivia about the game. This is the first game to employ the axonometric projection. It's the first arcade game to be advertised on television. Uh, the world record for the game is four million six hundred eighty thousand seven forty points scored by Vernon Kalakas of Le'ei, Hawaii, on March fifteenth, nineteen eighty two. A bootleg game of the game was released in arcades in 1982 called Jackson. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope he didn't grab something while he did yeah, that. Yeah. Well, he grabbed his joystick, of course. Oh, um, that's so bad. Thank you. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm just talking about a play a video game. Um, the ports were. Shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Shaman. Um, <laughs> ports. Uh, the ports were for the Atari 8 bit 2600. Uh, which was a head-on version of the game, and the 5200. And television also had the head-on perspective. I'm Should guessing those games with- be called Zach's head-on instead of Zach's? Oh, that's good. Nice. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was good. Very quick. Uh, Commodore 64 and Amiga. Apple II, MS-DOS, MSX, Z80 Spectrum, My Toaster, Sega uh, SG-1000, Master System, Zaxxon. Uh, this was, the, for the Master System, it actually was a, a 3D version of the head-on. TRS-80 Color Computer, Dragon 32, which was pretty much just a TRS-80, uh, TRS-80 Model 1, and uh, ColecoVision. 
And then you have a clone for the TNA9 called Arcturus. Uh, the Amsterdam CPC was called Zax, uh, BBC Micro was called Fortress, and TRS-80 Color Computer, which I already said there was actually an f- official version, but I think this one came out rever- before that, Zaxund. That is good. Yeah, it does kind of sound German, doesn't it? Um, and of course, there was a sequel called Super Zaxon, because I'm surprised it wasn't called Turbo Zaxon, because it was the 80s. Everything was called Turbo. Let me compare this, the arcade version, to uh, Blue Max. So, first of all, you're in a plane. You have air-to-air combat, and the ground fire can hit you. You have an altitude indicator and fuel indicator, and you, you have a score. Differences. Well, as I mentioned, Zaxxon is uh, axonometric, while Blue Max is oblique projection. Blue Max has bombs and guns, where Zaxxon just has guns. Uh, you can take damage in Blue Max, and Zaxxon, you just die. Zaxxon is a fantasy game in space, and uh, so it's a totally different setting. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, World War I actually happened. I know. you got to read the history books. You've just, you've just made me know things that I never knew. I know. I know. Star Wars seems real. It's not. And World War I was real. So just a just little information for you people out there. You shoot things in uh, Zaxxon to get fuel, but in Blue Max, you have to land. In Zaxxon, you don't have any uh, specific targets uh, to hit, where with uh, Blue Max, you have marked targets. There's multiple lives in Zaxxon. Of course, um, you only get one in Blue Max. And you get two players in Zaxxon, where Blue Max, you only get one. Uh, Zaxxon has a uh, fixed control layout, where with uh, Blue Max, you can change it up. So where can you buy this game? Well, before well, you go to there, remember, what? Zaxxon, Zaxxon. Zaxxon. Zaxxon, Zaxxon. Good night, everybody. <laughs> so where can you buy this game? eBay had it for $44 and the cart only in 2015. Ooh, a little high. Um, that's about all I could find. I couldn't find anywhere else. All the other places, no, no, uh, no cart available. And we'll provide you links and, uh, in the, in the show notes. And what about other ports reviews? Well, Laird's Lair has an excellent arcade games part seven, where he talks about it on YouTube and the 5250 podcast has uh, episode two. They talk about it and 2600 game by game podcast. Uh, episode 10 also talked about it. Uh, so now, uh, here's Kieran Hawkins' segment. He's going to talk about uh, two budget games, Joe Blade and BMX Simulator. Cool. Awesome music in that game, by the way. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. It's uh, Kieran here with the voice from the UK on the Atari Zegs podcast. Now, I am going to give a brief rundown of the other things that have been discussed on the program so far. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make the recording with the other guys due to time differences. This is something we are hoping to sort out because it would be great if we could all record our segments at the same time and know what each other is talking about. I feel kind of lonely um, over here in England on my own, but it's always nice to, um, to, to give some contributions to a podcast like this. So... I will do my best to uh, not repeat what the other guys have said and um, offer some insight um, from a different point of view. Now, the two games that we're looking at this week are Blue Max and Mario Brothers. I'm going to give a a brief little overview of what I think of these games before moving into my own segment, looking at um, some great budget games for the Atari XE game system this time i'm going to look at two games it went down so well last time so thank you everyone for your feedback thanks for all the people who have provided me suggestions i will endeavor to um try and cover some of those games but i've also got quite a few of my own that i would like to to open up to you all 
um, especially those of you in the US who might not have experienced some of the games released in the UK budget market. So without further ado, let's start off with, with Blue Max. Now, I um, hadn't played this game at all until quite recent years, which quite surprises me when I found out you know, what a big hit it was back in the day. But I guess it was probably because I was a Spectrum owner as a, as a kid and um, I don't believe Blue Max ever came out on the Spectrum. So it wasn't a game that I was aware of. And obviously the first looks, it, it does look like a, a quite a similar game to something like Zaxxon with its isometric perspective. But the gameplay it is quite different and uh, is reminiscent maybe of something like River Raid but from an isometric perspective which is interesting. It's a, Graphically it does look great. Um, I do like isometric perspectives in games and it does work particularly well in this game. Now I've not played it a great deal, I have to confess, and I did find it quite hard to get on with at first. I did struggle to even get the plane off the runway the first few times I played it. But then after a few turns, obviously once I got the hang of it, um, I got a lot more enjoyment out of it. But I, I do like the game, I do think it's got some great graphics, um, it's got some nice sound and uh, there's certainly a, a great deal of gameplay there. So for me, I mean, Blue Max, I think is a solid 8 out of 10. Now, the other game we're looking at this week, uh, Mario Brothers, specifically the XE version of the game in the blue box. Now, this is sadly one of um, the few uh, XE branded games I don't actually own because it always seems to go for absolutely insane prices on, on eBay. I have actually missed out on one a couple of times, which is quite annoying, but it's there. I'll get it at some point. But I have played it extensively um, through uh, flash cartridges and, and, and emulation and such like. And uh, I actually covered the F Mario Brothers in my own YouTube series, um, Excellent Arcade Games. So go on YouTube and look at that. And so far, I've covered the original version of Mario Brothers, but not the XE version, which is... Uh, which is quite funny that we're doing it in this podcast. And the the XE version is much better than the original Atari version um, that I believe wasn't actually released on the Atari 8-bit. I think they only released the 5200 version. And although the 8-bit the version was advertised, I don't think it ever made it onto the shelves, which is a, a bit of a shame. But the, the much later released um, Atari Corp version in the blue box um is absolutely outstanding it's the much better version of the two much more authentic to the arcade game as well and to be honest it, i i think it's in many ways it's it's better than nintendo's own nes version it it's a really polished game they paid real attention to getting the graphic look of the graphics right the sound in particular deserves a special mention i think because they included all the small pieces of music from the arcade game they got all the sound effects perfect um and it plays extremely well. It's a really polished version. And my interesting bit of trivia um, for this episode that's going to link some of the things that we've already talked about together is that the, the XE version of Mario Brothers was programmed by someone called Peter Adams at Sculptured Software. Now, one of the things that Peter Adams was most famous for was doing the Commodore 64 conversion of Zaxxon. Now, we've already talked about Zaxxon in this episode because obviously of the similarities to Blue Max. Now, interestingly, to link it back even more, is after, sometime after doing Mario Brothers, Peter Adams then worked with um, my good friend Chuck Peavy on 
the XE version of a game called Panther by Mastertronic, which we will cover um, in another episode, along with some of Chuck's other games, because he was a very prolific programmer for the XE. Now, Panther, um, for those who don't know, is an isometric shoot-em-up, very similar in style to, 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 to Zaxxon and Blue Max. And also, <laughs> to link it in even more, Chuck Peavy was the man responsible for converting Blue Max to play on the XE game system from a cartridge. So there we go. That links all those that together there. There is actually a strong link between Blue Max and Zaxxon um, via Sculptured Software and Peter Adams, who program Mario Brothers. So interesting bit of trivia for you all there. Um, and... To give Mario Brothers a score, I mean, I think it's a, a definite 9 out of 10. Um, the game is one of the best two-player games um, available on the Atari 8-bit. And it's a shame that it's so expensive to buy because I think it is a must-have game for the for the XE. I mean, I'm not generally a fan of platformers and I do not like the Super Mario Brothers game at all. I've never got on with any of the Super Mario Brothers game. But I do have a, a great fondness for the original Mario Brothers um, ever since I played it in the arcades and on the Atari 2600 um, as a kid. Okay, so we'll move on to my segment here. And we're going to look at some more budget games. Um, I explained, obviously, in the last episode what budget games in the UK were all about. They were cheap games on cassette that you could literally pick up from um, your local um, uh, newsagent, bookstores, as you call them in America. They would be on little racks, and they generally cost one ninety nine or two ninety nine, so you could buy them with your week's pocket money, and uh, often they offered very good value for money, and and, and many of them were were just as good, or or even sometimes better than many of the full price releases that were around. And certainly in the UK, it gave a new lease of life to the to the XE machines, and many people who bought the the XE game system over here um, would did actually buy the tape drives at the same time so they could play the cassette software as well as their cartridges. Now, the first game I'm going to look at is a game called Joe Blade. The company that made it were called Players. Um, a bit of trivia on Players, they were the budget label of another company called Interceptor Software, who were quite big. Interceptor released a lot of very high-quality full-price games for, for the 8-bit computers in the UK, so the Spectrum and the the Commodore 64 especially. And uh, their budget label players um, released games for a lot more formats, including the Atari 8-bit and BBC Micro and Commodore 16 and all sorts of other um, less popular machines. Now, Joe Blade was, was without doubt, um, players' biggest hit. It was written by someone called uh, Colin Swinborne, who would go on to to write three more sequels to Joe Blade. There was four games in total, though the fourth one was was sadly um, never released, but has been um, leaked you know, in more recent years um, through the internet. The first two Joe Blade games appeared on the, on the Atari 8-bits, um, but it's the first one we're going to be looking at today. And Joe Blade, in essence, is a kind of flick-screen um, arcade adventure. You play as obviously the titular character, Joe Blade, and your mission is to infiltrate a prison and rescue the hostages. Now, 
you are armed with a gun to help you and you basically enter through a door and then each screen will feature one or maybe two exits that you can go through on different parts of the screen you can go into the screen out of the screen off the side of the screen so there's different ways of, of entering and exiting the rooms now it's very maze like so sometimes you will go into a room it's a dead end you have to go back again so this was the kind of game that that people back in the day would have got out their their graph paper and drawn maps off to help them progress as well as rescuing the hostages you obviously have to con um, contend with enemy soldiers so the enemy soldiers you obviously have to shoot making sure you don't use too much of your ammo because you run out of ammo all you can try to do is avoid their fire uh, extra ammo can be picked up um, at certain points throughout the game so you, so you can look out for that now also to um, to add another stumbling block to your progress is that randomly through some of the rooms you find bombs now these bombs cannot be avoided once you've touched them you have to try and defuse it so then uh, a, a mastermind style you, um, grid comes up on the screen with a, with a series of um, six numbers if I remember correctly and you have to try and decipher the code before the time runs out this part of the game I have to say is, is pretty pretty difficult and it does spoil it a little bit um, it doesn't ruin it but it does um, get annoy you sometimes you know because sometimes you can be doing really well um, you hit a bomb and then if you can't decipher the code it, it, it is game over unfortunately so yeah that's the only real real downfall of this game the core gameplay of rescuing the hostage and shooting the guards is, is tremendous fun it you know it's really well executed um works really well and there's a lot of positives in joe blade the graphically um the game is 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 quite nice i mean i originally played joe blade on the spectrum um where i played it i played it a great deal i seem to remember it was actually um one of the earlier games i brought bought for my spectrum from my my local news agent and the spectrum version was all in monochrome that was the original version and the Atari 8-bit version has much better graphics um, because they've added lots of colour without really losing any of the detail. Um, the sound is decent enough without being spectacular. So all in all, in all it's quite a solid product. Um, just say let down by, by the fact you have to decipher the, uh, the bomb. One nice feature I should actually go back and mention from Joe Blade is that you, there, you can also grab um, an enemy uniform which stops you being spotted by the guards. So that's a, another thing to look out for when playing this game. And for an interesting bit of trivia <coughs> associated to Joe Blade is that it was actually banned in Germany because at this, this around this time, there were some very strict rules in place in Germany about um, anything to do with um, the Second World War or the Nazis. Commando was a game that was also banned and changed into a, a game. Um, they changed it change the setting into space to get it released there and joe blade was banned there too because they also felt that um the guards represented nazis and uh it was glorifying war in some way so it was banned over there too so german players never got to see it either sadly but yeah joe blade is it is a it's a good game it's if you if you especially if you like a good challenge um it's definitely worth looking out for i think d despite the, the the minor annoyance of the bombs and, uh, you know, for me, it's a very solid 7 out of 10 game. So look it up and uh, look up the sequel as well. I'd, I'm not going to bother 
covering the sequel in another episode, so we'll just mention it briefly here. But the sequel is pretty much just more of the same. But the sequel wasn't done anywhere near as well. The sequel on the Atari is basically just a Spectrum port. Um, in many ways, they literally ripped the the monochrome graphics straight across. The sound is poor. Um, it's nowhere near as well executed. I can only assume it was it was a completely different person that programmed it, which is a great shame because Joe Blade Two is actually the better game because it does um, enhance somewhat on the feature of the first game and and loses annoyances like like the difficulty of the bombs. So it was the better game. It's just a shame that the Atari Eight Bit version of Joe Blade Two wasn't anywhere near as well executed. But Joe Blade definitely worth looking out for. Now the second uh, budget game I'm going to cover in this episode, because I did promise to do two to make things a bit more interesting, is uh, BMX Simulator by Codemasters. Now this is probably one of those games that's a bit more well known to um, Atari 8-bit users everywhere, uh, because it was a pretty big hit anyway. Um, it was, I believe it was actually, I seem to remember reading that it was Codemasters' biggest selling game. It was released across just about every computer format at the time going. And I think the NES got a version as well. I think Codemasters did a uh, kind of multi-cartridge with several games in. And I think one of those was BMX Simulator. And it was um, also notable for having a sound, well, soundtrack title music by um, the legendary David Whittaker. And it's probably one of the best tunes um, on the Atari 8-bit. And it was reused in lots of demos and stuff like that. So many people are actually familiar with the BMX simulator music without actually really being um, familiar with the game. Now, the original uh, BMX simulator game was um, designed and programmed by uh, the Oliver Twins. The Oliver Twins are most famous for creating the Dizzy games, but they did a lot of great games for Codemasters. They didn't program the Atari 8-bit version that was done by by somebody else in fact according to Atari Mania it was somebody called uh, Adrian Shepard so that's the man we can thank for for programming the Atari 8-bit version but it was done to 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 the original design of the the, the, the Oliver Twins game it was, it was originally a Spectrum game so that's where they took it from and in essence uh, BMX Simulator is just a pretty shameless ripoff of Atari's Super Sprint arcade game, but it's probably the best and most notable one out there. It doesn't have um, four players like the uh, Super Sprint did. You're just down to two, um, but it doesn't really um, weaken the game that much. So you've got two players. Uh, you're on BMXs, obviously, instead of being in cars. You can play it against uh, a friend, or you can play it against the computer, whichever is up to you. The computer offers a decent challenge, but of course with these games it's always much more fun if you can rope one of your friends into playing it and uh, for a bit of bragging rights. And yet yeah, you just get jump on your BMX and you race it around um, a series of different tracks uh, trying to make it to the finish line um, before your opponent. It's as simple as that really. Um, there isn't really a, a lot more to explain. Um, there's seven courses, I seem to believe, um, to get through. Um, they get a bit harder as the game goes on. You have hazards on the courses. You have ramps. Um, you know, there's scenery you get stuck on. So, you know, you have to watch out for that. So sort of pinpoint control is needed if you're going to make it around the, the, the tracks 
um, quickly. Graphically, um, the game is is pretty decent. Um, they've adopted a, a kind of quite brownish look for most of the graphics, but but the the races take place on on dirt tracks, so in this case, it's appropriate. You sometimes hear people criticise um, these some of these, uh, especially these budget Atari eight bit games for for some reason having a bit of an obsession with using brown, um, which always reminds me a bit of the Commodore sixty four. With it, you know, that seems to have a heavy use of brown in its games, but in this game it's appropriate. The um, the sprites are coloured though, so it's easy to tell who you are. One's pink, one's green, and uh, it, it it does it does look quite nice. Um, the original Spectrum version was was monochrome, so it certainly looks better than the original Spectrum version. There's also a nice title screen, and we've already mentioned the terrific uh, David Whitaker music, which. You can just sit there and listen to for ages on its own. To be honest, it's a good reason just 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 just, just to boot up this game and play it. So BMX Simulator is a highly enjoyable budget game. Another one that I owned back in the day for the Spectrum, and when I um, encountered the Atari 8-bit and bought one for myself in more recent years, it was it was actually one of the very very first games that I I booted up and played on an Atari 8-bit because. I remembered the, the the Spectrum version so fondly, and and it, it, generally Codemasters games were always um, very very high quality, so they're they're really someone you can't go wrong with. And hopefully we'll look at um, a few more of of Codemasters releases for the Atari in future episodes because they were of of equally high quality. And yeah, BMX Simulator for me is a is is a solid um, eight out of ten and um, definitely a game that you should look up and play uh, and that rounds up my, my, my budget segment for this episode there's a couple more things I would like to, to mention before I depart and first of all you know, obviously I said sort of earlier if you do have um, any requests for budget games that you'd like to know more about um, then, then, then please message in and let us know or um, hit us up on on the Facebook page, friends of the um, the Game by Game Sex podcast, and let us know on there if there's um, any memories you want to share from from any of these. Obviously, um, please do the same. We love to hear your stories, and if there's anything you'd you'd like to hear more about, you know, from from the UK's perspective in general, I'm always happy to to, to add some extra knowledge um, into this. And also, I'd like to just say to everyone to 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 keep a lookout um, if you are in the UK and you listen to this podcast. Keep a lookout for a little event coming up in uh, May. It's May twenty first and May twenty uh, May twentieth, twenty first, and twenty second uh, in Oxford called ROM. Um, and if you look up ROM twenty sixteen on Facebook, you'll find the events page. And ROM. We will have a very high contingent of, of Atari stuff, including an XE game system with a multi-cartridge and lots of games um, available to play. There will be also be a charity auction raising money for Cancer Research UK, so going to a very good cause. There will be lots of tournaments, lots of games to play, lots of fun. The, the event, um, historically, was organised by... Um, the man Jeff Minter, who of course did some brilliant games for the Atari 8-bits, including um, Revenge of the Mutant Camels and Grid Runner. So he might um, pop in and make an appearance as well, as he, as he quite often does. 
So if you are in the UK and you want to come to a gaming event, uh, share the Atari love, talk about the 8-bit or anything else, and, and just basically have a great deal of fun. It's a real community event. It's held in the upstairs of pubs. There'll be lots of uh, you know drinking and late-night um, gaming sessions and lots of fun to be had there. So yeah, look look up ROM if you are in the UK and you fancy coming to a, a, a great event. And, and that's it really. Um, I will see you all again on the next podcast. Hopefully I might be able to record alongside alongside my friends in the next one. It would be nice. And I've also got some, some more interesting um, Atari 8-bit news for you all. But I'm going to hold back on that for the moment. And hopefully I'll have something next to nice to announce on the next podcast. I'm going to leave you on that little cliffhanger. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Kieran signing off. Bye-bye. Okay, and uh, now we're now it's time for users' feedback, and we do have, believe it or not, one review on iTunes. Okay, now uh, I want to thank Paula. I don't know who you are, but uh, I promise you, if you send me a self-addressed env- envelope, the check will be in the mail. <laughs> this is what Paula said. This podcast was recommended to me to listen to, and I'd have to say this is by far the most informative podcast regarding the Zegzatari system. Uh, Although there is only one, but still, you're the best because you're the only one. (laughs) Doesn't matter. We are still the best. (laughs) Now, loved how you guys added actual audio from the commercial back in the good old days. Uh, Brother owned an Atari, not the Zegs, but this really brought back a lot of childhood memories from back then. She wants to know if, while reviewing the games, we can also reveal any secret codes made by the programmers. Uh, congrats on episode zero was a huge success. It had her learning and laughing at the same time. Enjoyed the bloopers. Uh, thanks for making the podcast for people who truly love and appreciated the invention and keeping the brand's memory alive. Keep up the great work. Can't wait for episode one. Well, thank you. And this is episode two. Yeah. Well, and I think well, we continue to make more bloopers for her. I think that's pretty much what yeah. we produce. They're natural. They come naturally. People, they come I, naturally. I, 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 I hope she and everyone liked episode one and, and two and, and so forth. So And zero. Right. And yeah. the negative ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shut okay. up, Kevin. I think we got an e- some email. Would you like to th- <clears throat> talk about that? All right, sure. Uh, RK from the 5200 Super Podcast writes, Hey, guys. You know what the sign of a good podcast is? I don't know either. I'd have figured it out for our podcast. But, no. <laughs> um, but I do know that I love listening to the XCGS Game by Game podcast. And I never even owned an XCGS or any Atari 8-bit. Oh, you got to fix that. I had a Commodore 64 back. Oh, I'm going to just stop reading now. No. Okay. Um, back, <laughs> back then, but never owned an Atari computer until the ST. Uh, uh, just so everyone knows, my brother had a Commodore 64. And we both loved playing that together. So. But still, I'm an Atari guy. Um, but I find your podcast entertaining and informative, and it makes me wish I had an XCGS or any Atari 8-bit back in those days. I really enjoyed the last episode about Archon. I never played the game, even though I think it was available for the Commodore 64. Yes, that's true. Uh, I played Battle Chess on the Atari ST, so maybe it was kind of like that. Um, a little bit. Battle Chess uh, had some cool animations when the chess pieces hit each other, but in, in Archon, you actually you guys battled. Like yeah. Whoever got the spot was whoever won, and if you both lose, <laughs> nobody gets the spot. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to more episodes as fast as you can make them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> some value of fast. Uh, and where I never owned an XGS, I guess that's what makes your podcast a good one. Yeah. Uh, listen to guys talk about something I never owned and really enjoying it. Thanks, guys. Hey, you're welcome. Cool. And thanks for the 50. I never had a 5200 system, so I'm, I'm enjoying the 5200 Super Podcast as well. So. Yeah. And I want to say this in the spirit of goodwill. 
I want to thank RK for mm-hmm. his role in the Atari 5200 Super Podcast and for teaching me everything that has nothing to do with the 5200. <laughs> I learned so much from him. I know about Ray Bradbury. Oh, I know wow. about all kinds oh. of sci-fi now. And RK, I'll be looking forward to hearing from you in the ColecoVisions podcast. Cool. And RK, I did own a 5200 for a little bit of time, but I had to move, and that thing was uh, too big to move <laughs> with me. So I just left it there. <laughs> I just left it there. I think it's actually a monument or something right now, <laughs> and a statue or something. Well, uh, right. you know, probably what well, happened. Well, these jokes the ever truck, get old. Michael, the truck, yes. moving truck was there, yeah. and it's like you had to make a decision: Are we taking the sofa or the 5200? <laughs> so we also got some feedback on Atari Age, and I'll talk yeah. about some. Actually, we caught quite a few people, so that's cool. Um, Michael is known as um, My Tech Controls, and he said, although it was a long episode, I'm sorry, but it was a lot of information, um, I found it very interesting and well presented. So I made it all the way through with that in one sitting, and he didn't fall asleep. That's impressive, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, congrats on the first and hopefully many podcasts. Just curious, will you be covering any XEG? specific hardware mods like video enhancements, random expansions, alternate keyboard adapters, hint, hint. Uh, take care, guys, and keep up the good work. I think that's a great idea. Anything we can uh, that supports the XEGS, uh, I think we should mention. So we'll do that. And um, and Wade from Inverse and Tasky podcast said, good job, guys. I made it at 41 minutes before I had been interrupted for lunch. So he had to eat. Uh, it's, you know, we got to keep up the strength. Uh, we'll be finished tomorrow. <laughs> but... <laughs> But so far, so good. So hopefully after the minute 41, it didn't go into the toilet. I hope not. So. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to let us know. Uh, Adam242, uh, I had this in my ears all day at work. Or sorry, he didn't say all day at work. <laughs> it feels like it was a long episode. He had it in his ears <laughs> at, at work and enjoyed it very much. It was ent- entertainment and informative. Uh, nice production too. Wow. Ads and the jingles and the movie quotes were a bit of an unexpected fun. Looking forward to the to more of it. Uh, we did also get uh, on Atari Age from Mr. Fish. He was asking us if we were planning to cover XCGS prototypes. Uh, he was actually really helpful and he gave us a copy of the images in ROM and CAR file format. And we're going to be reviewing these because these files work on either the cart or the ultimate cart. And since we have the ultimate cart, uh, we will review them. And uh, thank you very much, Mr. Fish, for coming up with that idea and supplying us with the images. And we also have uh, one from the VNA guy. Willie. Willie? Is that Willie? That's Willie. Willie. Hey, Willie, where's the cat? Um, Great start, guys. The XEGS is what the 5200 should have been. I kind of agree. Or actually, the 400 should have been the 5200. But anyway, uh, can't wait until the next uh, you cover Star Wars 2. Love that game. Anyways, keep up the great work. And finally, we got a response from the real Batty Bob. He says, just listen to the first episode. Nice work, guys. Glad you are guys, you're going to discuss the differences and tweaks made to for the re-release games. This will be, the, be of interest. Perhaps you will cover some of the other more recent cart releases too would love to do that as they are uh relatively expensive purchases it would be a good to have them reviewed good point and then he also made another point after our episode where we reviewed um archon and uh, bug hunt ouch you guys were big downers on archon uh, one of the best games there is and it's too easy once you played to death 
You give the impression it's a strategic game when it's really an all-out arcade game and is immediately absorbing. Plus, it's, it's superb for two players, even to watch other players. You didn't mention that you can also win by wiping out the opponent completely, which is more fun. And don't get me started on Bug Hunt. This is one of the better light gun games. Nice, clear graphics, fun to play, and most importantly, skillful. To do the XEGS games justice, you all really need to get real hardware and actual light guns, especially as there are several light gun game carts. What is the point of playing games with a mouse? I find on a 14-inch CRT, you can play without issues from a few feet away. I like the budget game segment. So um, I responded to a Bounty Bottle on Atari Age. And basically, um, you know, we had to be, we're trying to be honest with the games. This is just our opinion. We're not professionals. I mean, I don't, I don't get paid to, um, to, to test things. Oh, wait, I do. I, I do that. <laughs> thing. But anyway, <laughs> we're just our opinions. But I think we do, we try to, you know, look at things objectively. We all have different opinions of things. I would love to play uh, it on the hardware. And eventually, I will play some of the stuff on the hardware. But if with my situation, I don't really have the room. Uh, Bill doesn't have an XEGS yet. Or if well, more be- importantly, I don't have a light gun. So. Don't have a light gun, so we get our hands. And Bill's the only one, but we all provide different experiences for the games. Where you know David will play on the uh, the real thing, I'll play it in the emulator, and Bill will play it on the, the YouTube. So um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only Buck Hunt. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I think that, you know, don't take these things personally. I know everybody's going to feel differently about these things, but we, we just do our best. So, you know, I understand you want us to uh, do it on the, on the real hardware, but, you know, everything is an experience. Some people are not going to be able to afford the hardware. You got to play in the emulator. And yes, it's not perfect with the mouse, but it's at least something that somebody might try to play. And mm-hmm. uh, totally. yeah, so we appreciate your input and uh, thank, thanks a lot. And finally, Snicklin says, I must say I really enjoyed it. I thought at first I might not as it concentrates too much on the XEGS, which I'm not an owner of, but really it's not the case and all the games on the machine also work on the Atari. I love what you guys do. I love what Antic does also and I think that you're a good compliment to each other. Well, thank you very much. We, uh, we love to live up to what uh, Antic does because they do quite a bit for the Atari community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, also we got some uh, feedback over on our Facebook page. It's a little bit copious, so we're going to uh, basically give you some highlights. Um, Anthony Hom writes, I'm from California, but working in Taiwan, teaching English at the moment. Uh, Taiwan does not have much of a retro gaming culture. Um, it's rough enough uh, trying to find anything older than PlayStation 3. Um, the majority of people here who are retro gamers are Western foreigners. Um, and the only ra- really way I can play anything on Atari would be to emulate it. Um, he was born in 1985, so his first real exposure to gaming, gaming started with the NES, uh, which he apologizes. But no, that's fine. That's fine. He says, oh, if, only if I was born a decade earlier, uh, it might have been an Atari 2600. So I'm glad he's enjoying it and kind of getting catched up with uh, some of the stuff. Well, actually, you know, XCGS technically came out after the NES, but, yep. you know, it was nothing compared to the Nintendo at the time. Uh, they, they just owned everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So welcome. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And we got a couple uh, bits of feedback from Justin Knight, who I see a lot on Facebook as well. He's over from the UK. First off, he says, listen to episode one and thought it was absolutely amazing. Reviews were very well researched, in-depth, and comprehensive, plus uh, fun and enjoyable to listen to. Well, hopefully we keep that up. One improvement um, he asked for was using more XCGS sound effects. And you know what? I listened to... um, this is Bill talking. I listened to uh, Ferg's uh, Dig Dug episode, and admittedly, Dig Dug is one of Ferg's favorite games around the 2600 podcast. 
and he had so much sound in there. So I immediately went, you know, crap, I got to get like as much sound as possible out of Mario Brothers because that is a very noisy game with lots of great sounds. So uh, so hopefully we got all that in there in this episode uh, for you all to enjoy, especially because it's cost a hundred dollars to buy. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> anyway, um. Yes, to uh, add a little more Atari programming technical knowledge from the relevant experts on the podcast team. So yeah, we'll try to, we'll try to do what we can there. Um, that yep. obviously a lot of times takes more research, but you know, like today we were talking about bank switching, just kind of like everybody knew what it was. So hopefully we we explain that a little bit. Basically, you know, you have to have a little window into all the memory in the in the cartridge ROM that lets you uh, banking lets you look at different parts of it at different times to have a bigger cart. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he says likes the new website. Hey, thanks, Michael. Um, and especially the episode show notes. He said it was great to hear from UK XEGS expert Karen Hawken, who will be focusing on the UK budget cassette software scene, an area which I had considerable experience in the 1980s on my 800XL and 65XE. Well, that's great. Yeah. said it was fascinating to hear Karen's review of Fruit Machine Simulator, as this is a game I have not owned before. Uh, congratulations on producing a really awesome podcast, and best wishes for the future of the show. Hey, thanks a lot. And oh no, he's not done yet. Um, he says my sister and I shared an Atari 40410 from Christmas in 1982. Eventually went on to upgrade to an 800XL and 1010. Oh man, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> before switching to a 65XE and a CX12 data record. Oh man, no disk drive, huh? Uh, <laughs> Where was that? Don't forget that's in that's in England. Yeah, that's that's yeah. typical back over there. That's pretty oh. much what they lived off of. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. So sorry, you guys. Yeah. I couldn't survive a cassette more than about a year. Mm. I begged my parents for a disk drive. Bought the STE and uh, was working up until 2002. Wow, right on. Um, no longer have, have these aforementioned home computers, but discovered the Atari Mania websites several years ago. Decided to purchase a secondhand X, uh, 65XC on eBay. And now has a 400. Oh, he's got the, he's got the disease here. Two Atari 800s. Oh, my. Uh, newest Atari XEGS. Enjoying keeping up to date with all Atari home computer uh, news and developments. So that's um, presumably us and all the other podcasts. <laughs> um, absolutely amazing that it's such a strong Atari following in 2016. I am not surprised, personally. It's impressive. Uh, <laughs> it's very impressive. It is deserved. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and it- <laughs> hey, Bill, let the Kevin Savitz out of you. <laughs> yes, Boo Commodore. It all sucks. There's only one. There should be it's Boo like Apple II. Anyway, back to this. Absolutely amazing. There's such strong Atari bit following 2016. It gives me an opportunity to reminisce about the many great Atari times I had from 82 to 89 back in the day when computers were at height of their popularity. Good luck with the amazing podcast. Very best wishes. Yay. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yes, and I all hope right. uh, Kevin enjoyed that as well. <laughs> hi, hi, Kevin. <laughs> well, that's it right, for right. episode two, everybody. Uh, so tune in into our next episode where we're going to review Atari's Crystal Castles and Bruderbuns Choplifter. Also, with luck, our special guest host Kieran Hawkin will join us live from the Yay! UK. Now, uh, we're sorry for the delay in the episode coming out. Uh, sickness had befallen most of us, and. We'll do our best uh, with no guarantee. We're trying to keep to the one-month release dates. Now, everybody's been sick except for Michael. I'm so, <laughs> luckily, uh, he's still uh, unaffected. I think I got a, you know, uh, one of those uh, ingrown toenails right now. Is that going to keep me out of the podcast? <laughs> I don't know. It'll depend. <laughs> ow, ow. <laughs> uh, and again, a special thanks to uh, Computer for giving us permission to use her song software as our new show's theme. You can visit her at uh, computer.com for more info. 
And that's it, guys. We've done it. Yay! Yay! Hooray! What's the... Okay. Sorry, I heard a little uh, water dripping sound. <laughs> I thought... Uh, okay. We, we, got, we got a regular Bart Simpson on here with us. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> sobriety. Let me say sobriety, sobriety, sobriety. David's the uh, Atari device lending library. That's right. <laughs> so uh, put that in the notes here. No. Okay, sorry. Uh, That's a guy. Sorry, there was somebody here, and they were opening and closing. Uh, they were making noise, and I can hear it, somebody? but I don't know if you guys could hear it. Well, we yeah, I did hear somebody say something. Do you know who that person is, or is it just somebody who randomly walks in your house and starts opening things? No, I actually <laughs> the person is, but um, let's make sure that that's edited out. <laughs> Sticky so, okay. Joe, what are you doing here? <laughs> okay, so sorry. Well, Bill, I gave it an 8 out of 10 for grammar. <laughs> for grammar. For, for grammar. Oh, grandma loves this game.